And welcome to Let's Jaws for a Minute, the podcast which took a deep dive into Steven Spielberg's 1975 masterpiece and is now setting sail into uncharted waters to discover the world beyond Jaws. I'm Sarah Buddery. Uh, and I'm MJ Smith. And uh, this week we are joined by returning guest. Uh, he was on for a Minute by Minute episode, uh, Cam Harrison. Cam, welcome. Hi. Thank you. I'm I'm here for the fortune and glory. Fortune and glory. Am I in the right place? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. This is <laughs> yep, podcast fortune and glory. Perfect. Yep. Some people have called us the Sankara Stones of podcasting, so... <laughs> That's not true. It's my favorite review. <laughs> really? That's amazing. Bring that and put it on the wall. If only. If only that happened. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so dumb. It's uh, already if, begun. Yep. Uh, but yeah, we're here to talk about... Um, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, uh, which is a film that came out in the 80s. What year did it come out? Uh, 84. 84. 84. Okay. It came out in 1984. It is a prequel to uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, but the second film to come out in the series. Um, and, oh, there it is. I didn't see it in the notes originally. Uh, Harrison <laughs> Ford is back, and he is uh, he's in Asia this time around. So it starts in Shanghai um, at a nightclub where Indy is poisoned um, and he wow. escapes uh, skin of his teeth per usual, but he has a sidekick named Short Round who is a uh, small Chinese child played by uh, Kehee Kwan and uh, Willie Scott, who is a singer, was a singer in the club and she's portrayed by Kate Capshaw. They escape on a plane. The plane was also run by the villains, and they crash land in an Indian village, and they need to get to to Delhi, but uh, the villagers task him with stopping by a uh, a palace. Is it Pancot Palace? Is that the name of it? Mm-hmm. I believe so. Yeah. Pancot Palace to retrieve a uh, sacred stone that was stolen from them and they believe is in the palace being used by a cult uh to do human sacrifices and there are five stones in particular and uh they will grant them ultimate power so uh yeah it was i feel i feel much like the village elder you buried the lead there which is (laughs) that they also kidnapped the entire village's worth of children oh yes yeah that's right all the children disappeared and the rivers dried up right that's the whole point um but yeah it was uh go ahead no i just i I, he kind of drops that bombshell at the end it's like maybe lead with that next time yeah 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 yeah. there's Uh. child slavery going on (laughs) before you get to your sacred stone yeah and uh yeah it was another big hit for spielberg um who's just on a heater at this point it's uh Mm -hmm. raiders of the lost ark et temple of doom uh nominated for two oscars again the academy award-winning Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom because it won for visual visual effects and also 
is the reason why we have PG-13 movies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so, Cam, you jumped at the uh, opportunity to talk about this film when we announced our Spielberg season. So what is it about uh, Temple of Doom that made you want to come on and talk about it? I just love it. I think it was my favorite one as growing up as a child. I, I just <laughs> dug all the weirdness and the darkness, um, you know, growing getting older and watching it with more mature eyes i can see if, if some more of the warts uh so i don't know if i'd hold it up as the best indiana jones film but i just uh unabashedly love it uh it just it it wears its uh b-movie uh, inspirations on its sleeve in, mm. in the best ways yeah it's uh it's a weird one like as far <laughs> as just like i was it had been forever since i watched i think the last time i watched it was probably 2008 when crystal skull came out mm. and uh i were, didn't remember large parts of this movie <laughs> it's understandable because yeah they they don't do the best job laying out the plot and the stakes in this mm-hmm. one it's like yeah. let's just get from set piece to set piece <laughs> yeah i uh, lads i've got a confession i don't think i'd seen this film before <laughs> <laughs> wow it's so exciting and I, I, I was confessed on the the Raiders episode that I watching it for the podcast was the second the second time I had ever watched that film because mm-hmm. I'd watched it a very very long time ago and just for whatever reason hadn't revisited it. And I was like, yeah, of course I've seen all the Indiana Jones films. Cause I I have definitely hand on heart I have definitely seen the Last Crusade more than once. <laughs> so. <laughs> when we get round to that we'll be back in familiar territory but i was like yeah I'm, why wouldn't i have seen one of the three but i was watching it and i was like this all looks brand new to me <laughs> the only thing the only thing i vaguely remembered was the the mine cart sort of like mm-hmm. ending mm-hmm. bit so i don't know if i had just caught that bit when it was shown on tv because i imagine a heavily edited <laughs> version would have yeah. been shown on on tv at sort of times they would have put it's it on and just slash... the minecart scene as the the tv edit. yeah <laughs> everything else is cut yeah <laughs> yeah i don't think uh knowing my parents i don't think this in its full uh cut this is the sort of film i would have been allowed to watch when i was younger <laughs> they were sure. quite careful about what uh what we saw but yeah i i must have seen that bit or again maybe it's just pop culture osmosis i just feel like i have seen this film before even when i i hadn't but yeah this at least start to finish this is the first time i've watched it so what a wild time (laughs) i'll be interested to know like yeah what moments and scenes you'd heard about knew about uh if, if if you hadn't even seen them yeah i I'd heard that it started with a musical number, and I was like, "Weird, okay." Let's <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. see how see how that shakes out. I the kind of human sacrifice culty bit looked semi familiar, like I'd seen gifs of it on Twitter and <laughs> and that kind of thing. Yeah, because uh, I feel like you get that part with the like that's the scene that made PG thirteen happen, right? Sure. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, just the casual ripping out of a guy's uh, heart through his chest. I feel like that'll that'll do it. Um, and yeah, they. I mean, they were the only bits that I was heard about before. But how those things piece together and <laughs> how they ended up in said temple of doom and anything that happened <laughs> along the way, no prior knowledge of. And 
Well, the answer I... is tenuously. <laughs> well, therein lies the problem I had with this film. I feel like we'll get to the uh, outdated cultural depictions at some point further along, but in terms of the film as a film, it just doesn't have that same magic source that Raiders, ha- Raiders has in terms of building the plot, putting the pieces together... Even just the the uh, it's a compelling way to start a film with a music number, but it doesn't need to be there, and it doesn't make a lick of sense for the <laughs> for the rest of the film apart from introducing the character of Willie as being a singer and an excuse to have Harrison Ford in a lovely crisp tuxedo. But I, mm-hmm. uh, it just and then they're on a plane and then they're crashing and then they're in the village and I remember just looking at Martin and being like, "This is this is is this the plot?" Or does does other stuff happen? And he was like, "No, this is this is kind of it." <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if it, I mean, part of all that is the charm to me. I do love how like what's great about Temple of Doom is that it's a really good sequel in that it still feels like Indiana Jones. I don't think you could watch this and be like, "Oh, well, they they lost the magic of what makes Indy Indy." Like this is an Indiana Jones movie, but it feels starkly different from Raiders. Like I love that. Yeah, it's. It's not him on some archaeological quest sent off by the U.S. government or the museum. He's just trapped. He's trying to get home and keeps like hitting all these obstacles, and he's always on his back foot. And the people he's trapped with are not <laughs> the same people he was trapped with last time. The love interest is very different. And what it has, instead of uh, a logistical plot that makes sense, like Raiders may have had, is it's got a character arc. And that's, I think, one of the big reasons I will defend Temple of Doom yeah. to this day. And that Raiders, that's always been uh, a sticking point for me. And it's just that, like, okay, well, Indy just goes through. And as you guys pointed out last time, like, he doesn't affect the plot much. He's just kind of there <laughs> being badass. But, like, does he change? Does he change anything? Not really. But here, I, and I don't know if it's why they made it a prequel, but, like, the fact that we get to see how Indy got to where he was in Raiders, like, how he went from fortune and glory and making deals with uh, Shanghai mob bosses to... to caring about something more than himself i I mean that kind of pulls you through the weirdness and darkness of this film for me even willie kind of Mm -hmm. has a a bit of an arc well i was with you till the end there um Uh, (laughs) uh... a little bit a little bit she doesn't fight when they say okay we've got to go free the kids now sure I uh, I uh, I actually largely agree about that. I, I really like this as a prequel, especially in an idea where, or in a world mm-hmm. where prequels weren't a thing, really. Um, mm-hmm. Although, did you, did you guys see the the Tony Gilroy thing recently? Mm-mm. So no. someone someone asked because he's he's doing Andor right now, right? And uh, mm-hmm. so <laughs> this made me laugh really hard because it, it reminded me. I was like, oh, he went to the Harrison Ford school of answering questions from weird nerds about this Star Wars. <laughs> uh, someone said, uh, like, how do you emo- approach making a prequel in which uh, audiences already know that the character is going to die? And he said, we're all living in a prequel. We're all going to die. <laughs> <laughs> that is fantastic. Yeah, I was like, fair point. Fair point. Um, but yeah, it's really interesting to see, like, and I think you can do, because like, the nature of these movies is not serialized storytelling. It's episodic storytelling. So you can do basically whatever with this character and i really appreciate 
the swing they take of like, okay, the last one was this globetrotting James Bond adventure. This is like, it's still very much a James Bond movie. It starts exactly like a James Bond movie. But uh, um, then it becomes this like more pared down, kind of more focused thing. It's weird because in a lot of ways, I actually see this movie as Spielberg's second run at 1941, like trying to figure Mm. out what went wrong on that Mm. movie and trying Mm. to correct Mm. it in this, because it's still much like that movie. It's a loud movie. There's a lot of noise and like, it is barely, there's barely a story in this movie. It is more just like threads to connect this Rube Goldberg machine of chaos that Indy has gotten caught up in. (laughs) And, at the same time, though, it's much more, like, hyper-focused than uh, Raiders is in that it only takes place in this basically one location. And this one location, like, kind of gives way to, like, the cave with the skull and then the mines. And, like, we start at the, you know, the palace and then go through. And we're just there. Once he gets there, he's in that same location until the end of the movie. Like, mm-hmm. we never see him get to Delhi. And so I, I really appreciate that they went... They took such a different approach with the character right. and with the story and like made it less of a globetrotting thing. Like it's it's a really big swing and I don't know that it a hundred percent works, but the stuff that works is really good. <laughs> well, what works is I remember even as a kid, like just being so confused about like, what are the stones? Who are the thuggy cult? What's going on? But like Spielberg's a good enough director that like, I got the main story moves. I yeah. got like, okay, now the mm-hmm. bad guys are winning. Now the good guys are winning. They they need to do this before they can win. Like, you you get what you need to enjoy mm-hmm. the set pieces. And if you mm-hmm. pay attention, like over the years, every time I watch it, I'm like, okay, what's going on? All the information's there. It just it just shows you like the way you deliver information <laughs> matters so much because yeah, yeah they say the stuff that you get confused about but you just it just washes over you yeah i think mm-hmm. that's because of how loud it is like it's just like mm-hmm. it's just constant it's kind yeah. of assaulted the way of 1941 i mean that opening scene is just the club fight from 1941 but done much better like oh so yeah. good i love the opening <laughs> scene i don't know about the musical yeah. number, but it works because it's over the credits oh man the musical number i, I texted the co-host of my other podcast and i was like how long has it been since you've seen Tipple of doom and he was like it's been a while and i was like well the opening is goddamn ridiculous <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it feels like a just like a collective fever dream that we've mm-hmm. all had that this film opens with a <laughs> a musical number because we talked about how effective the opening of, of Raiders was in the sense of creating this mystery, these group of people like trekking through the jungle, and it's a minute and a bit before we get Indy even introduced and so he gets this great like epic uh sort of mm-hmm. character reveal when the sort of camera like zooms in on him and and we see him in all his glory and this uh, the the title of the film even like appears obscured by these dancers <laughs> what a wild way to open I a really film i really like that actually it's like i was like it's just like busby berkeley style mm-hmm. like musical number like it's really it's really a lot. I mean, you can tell Spielberg wanted to make a musical, right? Like, I mean, yeah. he uh, was it 1941? He said he like at times thought that should be a musical, and I mean, he eventually did it <laughs> with yeah. West Side Story. But it's it's directed very very well. Like, mm-hmm. it is directed how all those 
those kind of films are directed like it, it's that's that sequence is you could remove that from this and say it was from you know i don't know 42nd street or something and i'd be like yeah okay of course it is like it's it it feels like part of that and it's so it's, it's obviously i mean spielberg paying paying homage and sort of doing his own his own spin on it but <clears> it's <throat> a yeah it's a it's a way to start an Indiana Jones film. I don't know if it's the the best way. I do I do love that whole opening set post I mean even the musical number because it it certainly gets your attention but sure. post that that whole uh sort of lazy susan spinning thing mm-hmm. on the table where you know it's like the diamonds and the money and the poison and the antidote and it's so it's so well executed that that opening bit and you mentioned about it being like a James Bond film. That's one of the first things I wrote in my notes because he sits down at that table like he's freaking Sean Connery and Doctor mm. <laughs> Doctor well, No. The, like he's I, in the white tux, like him too, right? Yeah, I fully expected him to introduce himself as like I'm Jones, Indiana Jones. Yeah. Like, uh, <laughs> and even like the rest, the rest of the film. I know in Raiders, obviously, there's more of that sort of globe trotting Bond stuff that you get in a lot of films, but this this felt weirdly more like a bond film being sort of scaled scaled back and in this one location i don't know what it was about it that just it's made because me feel it has like a that, villain like... layer right raiders doesn't well, have a villain, yeah. a volcano <laughs> villain layer yeah yeah yeah, yeah. the doctor uh only lived twice volcano villain but layer. also because mm. i think he's for part of it he's being a spy mm. There's, like the whole dinner sure. scene felt very james bond where he's just like let me lay all my cards on the table so you will definitely try to kill me later yeah hmm the like the will they won't they with with Willie as well like when he's in her room and then she's like mm. five minutes and you're mm. gonna come but that felt very Bond to me as well with his you know womanizing yeah <laughs> uh, yeah but Bond would have just stood outside the door and waited for her to open it and. In- five seconds well she even yeah. <laughs> she even when he gets attacked in his room she has this bond girl ass line when he bursts into her room and she goes oh james and I, or uh indy or whatever and i was like wait that's straight out of a bond movie <laughs> um let's see sarah you covered a lot of stuff i have literally busby berkeley fever dream written in my notes uh, which were yes. all words you just same spoke. page yeah <laughs> Uh, yeah, because I love how it's like a normal, like, okay, we'll have a cabaret. Oh, she's going to go into this skull and just enter this weird uh, uh, abstract yeah. musical world. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I think that's the confusing part is like, is the audience in the club seeing this too? or <laughs> <laughs> Just us three. You know, 1930s uh, multimedia presentation. <laughs> Uh, but yeah it's so weird how like Spielberg uses the Indiana Jones films to just make the other movies he's always wanted to make I want to make a James Bond Mm. movie we'll we'll just turn Indiana Jones I want to make a musical well I'll just use part of the next James Mm. Bond to do it or the the Indiana Jones to do it yeah Uh, my wife did learn the entire um, uh, anything goes in Mandarin uh, for me for Valentine's Day and got like a red dress and, and did a whole performance for me so I'm a lucky guy Wow, that's that's very impressive. Yeah, <laughs> she can still sing like the first uh, the first part. She, she doesn't remember the whole thing, but sure. I can't even get a bunch of flowers. I mean, that's. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm always very spoiled. <laughs> that's a joke, Martin. I'm sorry. I love you. <laughs> uh... <laughs> uh, 
Oh, and uh, the the other thing you know <clears throat> mentioned, thanks to you guys, I noticed the the sneaky Spielberg one shot in that whole Lazy Susan sequence. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really like the way the camera moves in this movie a lot. There's some yeah. dope camera work in this movie. I think that's why, like, I can never discount this movie entirely, despite, like, I feel like I go back and forth with this movie the way I go back and forth. This is going to be a weird comparison, um, but this is a very personal <laughs> comparison. You, it is, I feel that similarly to Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, as I do to the film Juno with Elliot Page in that mm-hmm. every other time I watch it, I don't like it. And every other time I watch it, I do like it. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, there are large parts of this movie. I really, really like, and there are large parts of this movie. I really, really don't like. And like every time I watch it, like different aspects of that outweigh the other. Mm. Um, but like, it's, it's, it's this weird movie where I can't ever put my finger on like a true, like how I feel about it. <laughs> Um, because the, like the technical aspects of this movie are so great, especially, mm-hmm. um, you know, we've talked about it before. I'm watching them all on physical media and on 4k if I can. And this movie looks incredible. The way he shot the aspect ratio and that big, like, um, two thirty nine by one or whatever. Oh, it's so, it's so pretty. And just the way he lights a lot of this stuff, it looks like it, this is going to sound stupid. Um, sound like Harry Styles, but it just looks like a movie capital letters. Like it looks very cinematic. <laughs> it does. Yeah. 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 I mean, I think another thing this film has going for it that I think a lot of people forget, I, I would argue this has the most iconic Indiana Jones moments of any of the movies. <clears throat> Because uh, sure, Raiders has plenty, but like I feel every time you watch like uh, a montage of the movies and they want to show something from Indiana Jones, it's the shot of him on the bridge because a Harrison Ford has never looked better than in this movie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That was the first thing MJ <laughs> said to me when we got on, and that was the first thing in my notes was that as a heterosexual male, I can admire the shit out of Harrison Ford. He's really hot in this, in this movie. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Uh, to, to steal Sarah's uh, term, uh, he is a snack. He is a bag of yeah. chips in this film. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I think like that shot of him on the bridge is just like classic Indiana Jones, the grabbing the hat mm-hmm. from the, the door, the mm-hmm. dinner scene, short round. There's just so much that like instantly like triggers all those Indiana Jones nostalgia feels. Mm-hmm. And, and part the- of it, uh, going back to what MJ was saying, is the cinematography. There's just so many great shots of Indy in this film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I want to mention the the hat thing, actually, because, I mean, I've seen that parodied in The Simpsons and all sorts of things. So <laughs> yeah. I kind of knew it was from, and in that Simpsons parody, they combine Raiders and Temple of Doom stuff. But I said mm-hmm. to Martin, I was like, when does the hat thing happen? And he was like, what? And I was like, the hat thing, when his, like, his hat falls off and he reaches out and he grabs it just as like the thing is coming down. And he was like, do you mean the whip in Raiders? And I was like, no, 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 the, the hat thing. <laughs> like, I was so, I was convinced I had seen this particular thing before and then when it happened and i'm just like <laughs> i was the like leo like pointing at the screen uh <laughs> meme <laughs> i was mm-hmm. like that there it is like you're right i mean so many iconic moments and i the the jumping way ahead here but like the the sort of minecart sequence towards the end i mean That's so good very much <laughs> feels like they are trying to make a roller coaster out of it mm-hmm. and they did uh <laughs> yeah. but I don't know. I'm not mad at it. That's the kind of thing that, <laughs> as a kid watching that, what a thrill that would be. You'd oh, be yeah. like, I want to go on that ride. Like, that looks exciting and that looks fun. So, yeah. I don't think that was with bit the at, at all. 
the 80s loved their putting roller coaster rides into movies <laughs> things. So you, you had two in this one yeah. with the, mm. the the raft at the, the beginning. Raft. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But like Goonies, Willow, they all have like the high speed roller coaster sequence. Uh James Bond mm. has one too. Uh Honor Majesty Secret Service has the like the 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 luge mm-hmm. pipe. The luge, yeah, yeah. yeah. And the ski, uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and all the skiing. Yep. Uh yeah, I really like uh i so i was thinking about sorry i started making a completely different point this is the point (laughs) i wanted to make i was thinking a lot about once again another bizarre comparison but i was thinking a lot during this movie about the scorsese mcu quote that everyone got mad about Mm because they don't know how to read movies anymore about like oh their, their amusement park rides this movie's an amusement park ride through and through. <laughs> That's all it is. It is. Yeah. 100%. It is nothing but that. And it works, man. I like, wrote the same thing. <laughs> I wrote that in my notes the... as well, MJ. I knew you'd bring it up. So I was like, yeah, Scorsese was right. Yeah. And the themed food. Yep. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I think it's, I, I think it's a valid way to make a movie. And like, I don't know if I agree with him about every <laughs> single MCU movie being that, because I think like guardians is something on its mind. I think black Panther has something on its mind, but like, <laughs> I don't think he was discounting them, you know, like <laughs> the way people do, because if you watch this movie, like it's a really, really, really well-made movie with a lot going on as far as like the technical filmmaking, but that's kind of it. Like it's pretty well acted, but uh, it, other that's all it is. Is like I said, it's just it's held together by freaking paper clips and chewing gum to get to the next set piece. It's just a <laughs> bunch of set pieces strung together. Mm-hmm. Which is what Raiders was. Yeah, I mean, it's what Mad Max Fury Road is. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I felt that. I mean, Raiders for me felt like it was following more of a what am i trying to say it just it felt like the trajectory of it was was clear mm-hmm, it's like mm-hmm. we have to get this thing so mm-hmm. we go to this place and then once we've got that then we can do this thing and then we have to find the thing and then we have to get the thing to this pl- like it just feels very like quest like mm-hmm. if you're sort of looking at it in this way this film i it has less of of that and in a way it's a good thing because like now i'm sort of sitting and thinking about it and talking about it it's not a carbon copy of raiders like it is doing something different and i think that goes in its favor but when i sort of realize that when they're in the temple like that's it for the whole rest (laughs) of the film i was like oh (laughs) this is very very different mm-hmm. uh and i think that was when it hit me that i probably hadn't seen this film or at least not all of it uh start to finish but it's going back to something we, we sort of said earlier it does give up certainly to to indy it does add more to his character and i also completely unaware that this was a prequel until I think you said on the, our Raiders episode, MJ, yeah. and I was like, ha! Huh. <laughs> oh yeah, because um, Chris had watched this first, hadn't he? And then watched Raiders after mm. and he'd accidentally watched it chronologically without realising. Um, but it's... As a, as a prequel, it does work because it then sort of explains 
a bit more why Indy is the way that he is in, in the later films, because the person that we meet at the beginning in Shanghai is very, very different. And it threw me off for a minute because mm-hmm. I was like, oh, I don't, I don't, this isn't the character that I remember from the previous film. You're sort of having to remind yourself, like, no, this is set before that. This is when, you know, perhaps getting the treasure was for, for fame and glory. And it was this uh, occasionally problematic white saviour uh, yeah. journey he goes mm-hmm. on throughout this film uh, that sort of changed changed his mind a little bit, putting other people before himself and, and, and doing things for the good of other people has sort of changed that. But then again, you have the bit at the beginning of, of Raiders, like, did he really have a right to take that mm-hmm. idol out of the the place where it was, take it away from the people who it belonged to? It's, I don't know, it's complicated yeah. Uh, yeah. colonialism I like- things. I don't know if we have time to get into, but... But they do kind of give give that some lip service in this one. Yeah, yeah. And then immediately go back in Last Crusade. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> sort of. I guess the ultimate, like the way Last Crusade ends up, not really, but the way it starts for sure. <laughs> yeah, but again, that was prequel, so that was that was mm. old slash young indie. That's true. Is the opening? Wait, of... is that a prequel as well? No, the just, opening. Just the opening. Just the opening. Oh. <laughs> just the opening. The, the opening <laughs> takes place before Raiders of Lost Ark on the boat. No, Got no, it. just, I mean, the young Indiana Oh, the young stuff, Indiana Jones. He yeah, first for gets sure. the, uh, uh, the For sure. I actually really liked, so Willie has this line when she sees him in, <laughs> in his uh, Indiana Jones outfit, and she's like, what are you, a lion tamer? And that's like how he gets the whip in Last Crusade. I was like, that's cute. I don't know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, that, But that brings up something I noticed about this, too, and it's such a confident sequel in that it's already kind of like using the stuff the first movie uh-huh. set up and yep. subverting mm-hmm. it or making mm-hmm. jokes about it, like, multiple times in this movie, and not in a too wink winky sort of way like they all kind of work yeah i the whole, yeah like, I, going I, I, for I the gun it. and it's not there and like yeah the mm-hmm. <laughs> making fun of the whip and uh it's just it's they're very confident about this franchise already yeah and like even planting the seeds to like go back and revisit that lion tamer thing in the opening of of last crusade and and all that i know people i don't know we'll talk about it on the last crusade part but <laughs> I know people would have like a, a problem with that opening scene where it's just like, oh, and then he learned everything you'll ever know about him in one se- in one sequence. But because uh, he like gets his fear of snakes, he gets his scar, he gets his whip, he gets his hat, like all in, all in like a half hour. It's a very um, memorable day. Yeah. Um, to which I go, ah, it's a fucking movie. Like, I don't know. <laughs> it's an amusement park ride. Yeah. That's how they work. um anyway uh my commentary on last crusade aside i really like that they kind of like they they kind of know the character well enough at this point to kind of plant those seeds and also take what they set up in raiders and like play with it without being a direct sequel to it it's it's really like you said really confident and i think you know i think george lucas gets a lot of crap um for a lot of reasons and you know a lot of them not some valid invalid um but (laughs) i think he's really good at big ideas and i think he he Mm -hmm. he's very very good at knowing the sort of like big idea type of things that work it's in the details that he gets lost and i think you can see that here that there's like a lot of really big ideas that work really really well here and then spielberg has to kind of come and save him from himself in the details (laughs) 
Yep. <laughs> yeah, they're a good team. They're a good team. Yeah, they. I think they work. They balance each other out really, really nicely. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> how does how how the uh, the raft gag work for you guys, especially you, Sarah, since it was your first time seeing it? Because I. I'm not sure. Like, uh, I, I kind of see it on the same line as the nuking the refrigerator, but it works better for me, and I'm not sure why. I was thinking the exact same thing while I was watching it last night. Yeah, I didn't love it. Yeah, uh, <laughs> but I think because Cause... it's done physically, like you actually see a raft fall from a airplane and hit yeah. the mountain yeah. in one shot, you kind of buy it a little more than you do Harrison Ford getting <laughs> atomic blasted yeah. inside a refrigerator. Yeah, I. It's and there are moments in this where the again the sort of like the visual effects are good for the most part, but there's a couple of bits that sort of like haven't held up as mm-hmm. well. And mm-hmm. fair enough, it was made in the eighties, but the bits that were that makes the bits that were sort of done like for real or as or as practical effects stand out more as being. I mean, it's an exciting it's an exciting sequence, but it was it's pushing me just a little bit yeah. <laughs> further <laughs> on the sort of believability thing mm-hmm. and like what we liked and enjoyed so much about Indian in Raiders is that he's not he doesn't do everything perfectly the first time he makes a lot of mistakes and that makes him a likable person you know he things happen along the way that weren't what he was expected or weren't what he'd, he'd mapped out and he has to sort of think on his feet and figure out a way, you know, how do I get out of this scrape? And we still see that here, but it's a little bit, I don't know, push it pushes it that little bit further and that that then doesn't <clears throat> make sense for this being a, a prequel. Or maybe, I don't know, he then realises that going into everything really cockily and assured isn't the way to isn't the way to do it and then he, he sort of reins it back in a bit later on but he realized he has he had plot armor and could survive anything yeah yeah i do like him on the yeah. bridge he's just like you know what i'm this is going to be a future me problem yeah. right now i've got to get out of this uh the, this sticky situation and i'll worry about what comes next then yeah. yeah, I mean, I, I think that the movie does a good job, like you said, like, he's always on his back foot, like, his back's always against the ropes in, in every oh. situation he's in, and, like, mm-hmm. you know, it's just, oh, he's poisoned, oh, he can't find the antidote, oh, there's balloons and, like, feet everywhere and, like, you know, mass <laughs> chaos in this club, and but, like, Willie's just concerned with the diamonds, so she's no help, and, like, uh, all this Ninjas stuff. Ninjas and machine guns. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and... So then he gets out of that scrape, but then it goes into a car chase, and then we get on the plane, and like Dan Aykroyd's there, and then uh, the pla- the planes. <laughs> was the- Dan Aykroyd working for Lao Che? I I don't want to think he knew that he was sending Indy to his death. Yeah, I don't but... think so. I don't. I, that's not Dan- the implication. Although, <laughs> okay, based on how criminal that accent is, perhaps. <laughs> Case closed. Yeah, yeah. Um, so like. Then all that happens. And so the raft thing, it is born out of that, right? Because the the mm-hmm. The, mm-hmm. the pilots dipped because they were working for Lauche. <laughs> and then the way it resolves, it's still kind of that. Like, it's still him kind of having to navigate it and just kind of, like, luck his way through it. But mm. it, I don't know. I feel like the reason it works better than the fridge in Crystal Skull <laughs> is because... <laughs> It, because it's not a fridge. Well, because c- it's not an atomic <laughs> bomb. <laughs> <laughs> I 
Yeah, the fridge is tertiary to this. <laughs> on the plane, Lao Che had stolen the first atomic bomb. Well, because if it was like, if it was like, oh, okay, uh, you know, there's a bunch of dynamite near this place and he hides in the fridge and the fridge bounces or whatever. It'd be like, okay, that's kind of stupid. But we all, like, it is very well documented what an atomic bomb can do. It's <laughs> uh, fair. That's true. That's true. Also, Shiva delivered him here. Shiva protected them. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. So. Yeah, I mean, I guess you could write it off as a literal deus ex machina, right? Like, <laughs> right. <laughs> because this is like this is a film series that definitely presupposes that all of this stuff is real, at least to some mm. degree. So, mm. like the literal in, in a way, the literal god of the Bible shows up basically in <laughs> Raiders of the Lost Ark. So, but also <laughs> Shiva. So in a way, this is sort of like the MCU where it's just all real. Yeah, yeah, exactly. In some way or another. <laughs> they're aliens, but they're real. <clears throat> no, they're not aliens. Cam, they're interdimensional <laughs> no, beings. They're, no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you're right. I know. I've had to remind people. Of yep. Are they is is can are they aliens in the fourth one? No, they're interdimensional beings, he... Sarah. <laughs> no, yeah, 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 yeah. But for all intents and purposes, <laughs> yeah. aliens. Yes, yes. They're... I, I think I, I, I've seen that film. I sure have. I went to see it. <laughs> I went to see it at the cinema. But probably the one you've seen I most recently. I don't remember a, a lick of it. That's because there's nothing to remember <laughs> about that piece of shit. Uh... I remember I Shia, say, just... Shia, the, Shia LaBeouf, mm-hmm. Shia the Beef, mm-hmm. he's in it. He is in it. Uh, mm-hmm. And if there's a fridge, as we just mentioned, <laughs> and, a, and a bad Russian accent. Yeah, Caitlin Chet's mm-hmm. real mm-hmm. bad in that movie. <laughs> <laughs> wow, what a journey. I can't wait to watch that film. <laughs> I, I, I don't want to get lost in it. I'm just going to say it's, it's, it's not the best Indiana Jones film at all. It's the worst. Yeah. But I, sure I will is. take that over no Indiana Jones 4. I, mm, I think it's I better than not having a fourth installment. I, at all. And yeah, that's, that's where I'll leave it. I'll leave it at. I like the first <laughs> half actually quite a bit, uh, where they're at the college. Um, there's a mm-hmm. really mm-hmm. good car chase. There's a really good mm-hmm. car chase in that moment, er, in that that mm-hmm. sequence, and that's it. <laughs> okay, and one more. I I almost forgive the fridge only because that silhouette shot following it is so good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there could have been a better way to get it, but <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so this, this one, I think gets compared a lot as like the, which one's the worst, but I don't know. Mm. I think, I think it's a clear, it's a clear choice that Crystal Skull is much worse. Like, it's just, it looks cheaper. It's just, it's, it's, I think it's a way worse movie. Like, there's a lot of stuff about this I really like, and there's barely anything I like about Crystal Skull. Yeah, I would say (laughs) this is the least good of the original trilogy, but I wouldn't say it's the worst just because implication is that it's bad and i don't think it is yeah it's flawed yeah i know a lot of people think this movie's outright bad and i don't think it's outright bad like there's bad stuff yeah. in it to be sure uh namely willy um but <laughs> i think let's talk about willy yeah. i think she works only because we had marion in the first film if, if this had been the first film it would have been a terrible leading lady completely but we know that this is not how women are in the indiana jones universe we know there there are amazing female characters in the indiana jones universe so it's really fun seeing him stuck with a character like this who's just the complete opposite of who we've seen him with before and i think kate capshaw's performance she is just loving 
this character and enjoying herself and, and she barely kind of pushes it over the line for me i yeah no no go ahead sarah (laughs) (laughs) i was gonna say to 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 paraphrase uh quint in jaws she feels like ballast to me just (laughs) uh, like unnecessary weight dragging the film down uh i don't know i just i that kind of whiny like over the top dramatic i just feel like it's Maybe I am just comparing it to Marion because I I really like that character in in Raiders and this is a different character. It's not just Marion two point or a, you know a, a same but different kind of thing. She is a different female character, but I just I didn't I didn't love what they <laughs> what they did with her. I just think that she how it just comes across is just quite annoying, really. Mm. Uh, and I don't know. I think if it was just Indian short round, I don't know if that would necessarily work. I think it needs another. A trio works, and we know that Spielberg loves a loves a trio as well. So I think that it needs that extra person in there. I just think there could have been a bit more to her that would have made me like her a bit more. And I don't love the performance as well. I'm yeah. So is Willie the Brody of this movie? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> uh, I don't know <laughs> if that's the fish a... out of water. I guess. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, I guess so. But then, like, make something more of that. She doesn't feel particularly different by by the end of it. I don't know I, if that was. Just I mean, me, I but, feel yeah. like what they were maybe were trying to do, and what they certainly could have done better, is show that she is. Uh, at heart the same type of character as Marion or even um, mm-hmm. the Nazi from the next one I forget her name Ilsa uh, but like she she does have a strong constitution and she can rise to the occasion you know if she had I, I feel like maybe they were trying to make it show that if she had been raised by uh, Abner Ravenwood she would have turned out a bit more Marion like but she wasn't and, and this journey is supposed to kind of take her there and like I said I think they kind of peek at it by the end but not really mm. and certainly could have done a better job but I, if you try to watch it through that lens I think there's a little bit there for you. <clears throat> I admire Spielberg for being like I am going to write the most annoying woman of all time and then <laughs> Sp- and then Kate Capshaw comes in and perfectly portrays the most annoying woman of all time. And Spielberg said, I would like to marry the most annoying woman of all time. I admire him for falling in love with a woman and then saying, why don't you go kiss Harrison Ford for a while and then we'll get married. <laughs> yeah, right? That's confidence. Well, and also like, <clears throat> so if you watch the special features, I don't know if they're on the 4K box set, but they definitely are on the DVD box set. They basically talk about Everything we're sort of dancing around, which is the more uh, problematic elements of the movie. And basically, (laughs) Lucas and Spielberg had just recently gotten divorced when it came time to write this movie. And they were like, just they put all their like anger and bitterness into this script. And so that's why the movie like (laughs) hates this female character so much because they were just like really angry at the the respective women in their lives and taking it out on Willie, which like, you know go to therapy but uh 
that's what this movie was. Yeah, yeah. And they like all of that, all of the like weird dark stuff in this movie is because they were both going through divorces and this is how they commiserated over uh that that particular time of their lives. But it's which also makes Mm -hmm. it really funny that like they intentionally wrote this movie to be like to kind of hate the female characters, and then Spielberg falls in love with the character that he wrote. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is interesting knowing that, like, and, and watching it, like, huh? Just like you know, the two main creative people's moods at the time can have such a huge influence on the the final product of this film. Yeah, and shout out to them for being like open and forthcoming with that information because I feel like a lot of people would just be like, what was going on with these guys? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. Sometimes yeah. you get blood I mean, on the still... tracks, sometimes you get uh, Indiana Jones and Diplo Doom. <laughs> it's just, it's interesting to to think about though because I mean, we spoke about with, with E.T. like how much of his his personal life he put into that mm-hmm. in terms of the way it talks about divorce. It was obviously something that, that happened to him when he was, when he was younger. Uh, the way that I don't think it's a bad thing to, to bring in sort of what you're going through in your personal life into the, into the film, if that's what you are kind of going through at the time. I mean, there's in any director's film, there's going to be something of the director, in there right and i think as long as it's not really indulgent and obnoxious then fine but how that was handled so differently in et with sort of a lot of a lot more nuance whereas in this this is kind of taking a bit of a sweep at it but it's like we're both going through some stuff with the women in our life at the moment let's just make the world's most annoying woman and project all of our what we're feeling onto this poor woman (laughs) really it's i don't know it's it's a it's a different way yeah it's going about it than what et does it's perspective right like i'm sure i'm sure spielberg looks back on that time now and is like oh we were really unfair um because that's kind of how it plays in the that's kind of how it plays in the special features on the dvd which are like almost 30 years later you know um sure yeah and so with et and close encounters like he's processing the divorce of his parents which happened when he was a teenager right and so Mm. like he's just he's looking but even even you know he's not that far removed maybe this is wishful thinking because i am roughly the ages he was when he was doing those movies um he's not like that that far removed from when it happened because i think it happened for him late high school so it's been like another i guess another high school's amount of time since then Mm. um but he's not i mean you know he's got more time in front of him than he does behind him at that point and so uh particularly in relation to that event and so but he's even able to even with just like a decade plus of perspective process it in a much more sensitive way whereas like when he writes this movie, it's pre- the wound is pretty fresh. I mean, it was within the last year. Like, yeah. Was, I mean, yeah, it was. Yeah. Yeah. And like, I feel like a different situation. Yeah, you're I, right. You're right. I, I've never been divorced, but I've gone through some kind of messy breakups before. And there's definitely the like, it's all, it's the grief process. It's the grief. Every time you break up with someone, whether it's divorce or just like the end of a relationship, you go through the five stages of grief because you're losing that presence in your life who was a constant for you for however long it was. So this is just like the anger portion of that. Mm-hmm. It just so happens to be immortalized in a movie in one of the biggest franchises of all time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The 
these these men really gonna make a expensive blockbuster film instead of going to therapy huh <laughs> yeah i mean i don't know darren aronofsky's built a career off of it <laughs> sure <laughs> do we, I, also we... Realize, I just read that uh the woman george lucas was breaking up with divorce i think what it was his editor for star wars mm-hmm. and american graffiti uh, right yep. yeah 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 mm, listen to your editor Show... <laughs> Should we talk about uh, short round as well? I mean, sort of talking about uh, you mean future have, future oops. Academy Award winner Kehi Kwan. Yeah, yeah future <laughs> future Academy Award. Oh, that reunion picture of them recently oh. just like melted oh, my yeah, heart. So I, I loved it so much. Um, I, so people have some thoughts on this character, uh, whether they like him or not. I hmm. for for what he does in in the film as the sort of sidekick role. I think he does it really well. I mean, we can get into some of the uh, the other stuff <laughs> in a little bit of a sort of stereotype uh, stuff that this film does, and uh, yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> we'll get we'll get onto we that will, stuff anyway. Will. But uh, as as a character, I like him, and I think it's adding something for. I say adding something for the kids. This film is fucking scary at <laughs> times. Yeah. I I jumped like actual jumped twice uh so, so it worked uh the the bits that were meant to be scary were scary but i feel like having this uh wisecracking kid character in it is definitely like something for the kids i feel like every kid seeing this would be like oh i i, I love that character he was so cool we got to hang out with indiana jones and mm-hmm. it's a, a a a thing that i think kids could latch on to when watching this yeah, I, I remember always loving him growing up. I, I love him now. I mean, I do wonder, because this gets a lot of flack for being so dark, but it's never felt dark to me because, like, all the kids' stuff in the 80s was dark. Mm. I was watching mm. Monster Squad. I was watching, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Wizards probably wasn't a kid movie, but it was a cartoon in the 80s, so parents let their kids watch yeah. it, you know? It, and, and to me, like, if it has a happy ending, it's not dark. Like, that just means the darker mm. the middle gets, like the more it's showing how good can overcome. Mm. So, Well, and also, uh, like, Monster Squad's a good comparison because that movie has, like, a Holocaust survivor subplot out of nowhere. (laughs) (laughs) And divorce, that's a guy, the the kid's parents are going through Mm -hmm. divorce, which is just kind of, like, a really small subplot you only catch when you're older. But, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. So I do wonder if, like, that's mostly the adults at the time being like, oh, this movie's too dark. Meanwhile, all the kids are just, like, eating their ice cream and eating it all up. Yeah, I mean it's the Jack Nicholson <laughs> um, Joker quote, right? Like the more kids, the more you scare a kid, the more they like it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I I love Short Round. I think I mean he's he's a good kid actor, which he showed through his uh, the rest of his career in Goonies and such. And then uh, uh, he's just so fun because you kind of he's able to kind of weave in and out of being like Indy's buddy, like almost peer, and then like having to being the kid that Indy has to protect and like oh, that's a good the, point. The mm-hmm. extra baggage he has to. To carry through this adventure <clears throat> yeah that's a super good point yeah it's uh, uh i think it's really interesting watching this movie in a post everything everywhere all at once world like i i'm not sure you <laughs> sure. can separate mm. the two performances uh because of man he's so good in that movie um mm-hmm. and he's he's actually really i think he's really really good in this movie because he does balance out that like you know, he's driving the car, he's Indy's sidekick and buddy and peer, but, like, he also, like, 
he becomes this kid that he needs to protect and he balances that out i think a lot more and this is what everything everywhere leans into and plays with like he's kind of he's got this like very sunny cheery disposition and like this very high-pitched voice and like the way he talks is kind of like offbeat even he has like a speech impediment where he like he doesn't pronounce his r's correctly which he's carried over into adulthood it seems like and uh you know, he's he's also for the majority of the world got an accent um, when he's speaking mm-hmm. in English. So I feel like you can, you kind of underestimate him and his abilities as a performer. And then you watch everything everywhere. And it basically says that out loud. Like he basically says, like, hey, everyone underestimates me because, like, I'm always kind and happy and joyous. But like, this is my defense mechanism. Right. And so I think that's even in this movie, like he's he's kind of like. The comic relief a little bit, but, like, he clearly cares about Indy, and he ends up caring about Willie, and, like, you know, he looks up to Indy, and he he, he takes after him, and, and Indy's, like, by and large, like, yeah, I guess it's kind of unethical to bring this kid into these situ- situations like this, but, like, <laughs> by and large, like, Indy protects him, he takes care of him, he's a mentor to him, he's teaching him the ropes of, like, what to do and, and, and stuff like that, which is, you know, it, the, the, the relationship there works, I think, mm-hmm. and I think... He's really good and like very endearing and sweet. And I think that, you know, he's sort of with Willie being at like 11 the whole time (laughs) and Indy being like this kind of like arrogant douchebag that we're not used to seeing. He he's kind of the sugar that helps the medicine go down a little bit through the 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 darkness and, and anger. And like, I think it really it really works. He's kind of loud, which can get annoying at times just because of how loud Willie yeah. is a lot, too. Like, the scene <laughs> where they're playing cards around the campfire and he's yelling at Indy for cheating, but then Willie's, like, encountering all the wildlife around them, which is actually, like, <laughs> very funny and made me laugh a lot. Uh-huh. It's It gets really loud and to an annoying mm-hmm. degree, to, like, 1941 <laughs> levels where you're like, okay, I get it, wrap it up. <laughs> Yeah, what's well, our benchmark yeah. now for noise? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like how he's kind of a go between between Indy and and, and Willie. I, I do like the scenes where he and Willie are kind of bonding over, you know, whether it's their love of diamonds or I'm sure we'll get to the dinner scene. But I, I love them hmm. together at the dinner scene. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah, it's just fun how he can kind of be that the middle ground between them. Yeah, and I think also like with him doing press for everything everywhere because it was kind of like. I'll bring up the stereotype thing right now where it's just like the, the he feels like a stereotype, but like, I, cause I thought I had always thought they were making him affect that accent. I did not realize that was actually mm. just how he spoke. And so like yeah. hearing him and everything <laughs> everywhere, I was like, Oh, that actually makes me a lot more okay with the short round portrayal. Like, yeah. I, I had always thought they were making him lean into something very offensive, but no, that's just how the kid talked. And then also yeah, just because he talked that way in Goonies too. I was just always like, yeah, that, that's his voice. Yeah. All two things I've seen him in. That's how he's Yeah, saying. and so also hearing him on... <clears throat> there's an interview I watched with him on, like, Kimmel or something, and talking about Indiana Jones and being like, it was awesome. Like, I got to hang out with Steven Spielberg and George Lucas in the 80s. Like, and, like, fly to <laughs> Nepal. Like, I got this all-expenses-paid vacation, essentially, and then hang out with yeah. the biggest movie star in the world and the biggest directors in the world. And he tells this, like, really <laughs> sweet story, too, about how... Um, <clears throat> when they got done filming, it was his like 
I don't know, 11th birthday or something. And he invited Spielberg and Lucas. Like he just, he also like didn't understand at the time how big they were. So they were just like his buddies. And so he just like invited them. And like, obviously they couldn't go because they were busy making the biggest movies of the 80s. And he said that, but what happened is on his birthday, a TV showed up at his house and a bunch of movies. And it was all the movies Spielberg loved as a kid that he wanted to share with him. And then he said a full-on U-Haul showed up full of every Star Wars toy that had been released up to that point. <gasps> oh, my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, oh, that's cute. Like, that's what 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 gents those guys are, you know. That's so wholesome. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so he was like, I have nothing but positive memories of it. Like, it was just really fun being on set and seeing how a movie was made, mm. especially at that high of a level, you know, like... You know, yeah. having your first movie be a freaking Steven Spielberg movie is just like, oh, you know, I, I, I'm getting a master class and I'm just kind of here for the, for the ride. I mean, even, you know, press is happening for the Fablemans right now. And Seth Rogen was like, every time I wasn't in a scene, I was back at Video Village with Spielberg, just like being really annoying to him, asking him all these questions mm. about <laughs> filmmaking, but he was answering every question for me like he loves talk he just loves talking about this stuff so like he basically used his experiment experience on the fablemans as free film school for him which yeah <laughs> if you're going to that's <laughs> i can't think of a better professor you know <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i mean that's yeah. what spielberg did yeah snuck on sets and asked people questions. yeah he snuck onto mm -hmm. the hitchcock movie set mm-hmm mm-hmm yeah, I think this this film needs a character light short round because even even if he is sort of there for quote comic relief a lot of the time he does have sort of moments of of bravery as well mm -hmm. and and stepping in and saving the day which I think is really great but it with how dark this film gets I think it really needs that lightness to balance it out otherwise it would be incredibly dark uh i would love to know how much of this film made it into a tv edit i mean we <laughs> joked that just the minecart se <laughs> mine sequence and everything else was cut but uh yeah i was not prepared <laughs> for some of the stuff that happens in the sort of middle portion of this film watching very get very bit. dark yeah yeah <laughs> and the heart mm -hmm. stuff yeah. and the Oh, I mean the stuff. the dinner the dinner scene is the dinner scene is both like horrific and funny. It's a cartoon. Um, that scene's a cartoon. Mm -hmm. As mm -hmm. a as a vegetarian, mm -hmm. uh, Martin kindly warned me beforehand <laughs> <laughs> what went down, and I was like, I know they're not real monkey brains. It it looks like Jello. Like it, yeah, that's the thing fine. is like the monkey brains look kind of tasty because it's yeah, clearly it's clearly that. actual food. <laughs> yeah, the uh, snake thing bit more gross yes <laughs> it wasn't a fan so of you that were, you weren't expecting that scene at all sarah you you didn't know about that scene no apart from sort of like the the forewarning from from martin where he was like they're about to eat some gross stuff just so you know and i was like fantastic oh, thank you <laughs> a husband who knows that i'm a little bit squeamish about certain things so <laughs> yeah uh 
Yeah, and I know that's, I think that was like a big reason why India wouldn't let them film there, right? Mm -hmm. As they found that scene offensive. Mm -hmm. Uh, But (laughs) even as a kid, like, I never watched it thinking like, oh, that's what they eat in India. Like, I was always like, oh, this is what people who rip out beating hearts eat. Like, this is the Colts (laughs) dinner, not not another culture. They're not, you know, a whole country's uh, cuisine. So, I I don't know. Like you said, it's a cartoon. I think this movie very clearly says, like, some of these scenes you're not supposed to take literally. Yeah, I mean, there's not actually a tiger right outside their camp during that uh, scene where <laughs> Willie's screaming. Like, some of this is a cartoon. Yeah, I mean, there's like, there's some scenes where there's just, I mean, especially in the dinner scene, like the sound design too is very cartoony. Like when, uh-huh. uh, when Willie faints at the end, there's like, like crashing pans. It sounds like, like uh, <laughs> when when they see them open up the snake surprise or whatever, and all the the other snakes, mm-hmm. the smaller snakes, come out. Uh, Short round drops a piece of food out of his mouth, but there's like a boy yoing noise that happens when he does that. Like it's very weird. Yeah, that sure is. It's so weird, and I I've been picking up more on those like cartoon sound effects, especially in like eighties movies. Like, what were they thinking? I mean, the the most egregious is the freaking slide whistle in the car with the car jumping over the the bridge. And is it oh the bomb the bomb film? Yeah, is it Live and Let Die? I know the one you're thinking yeah. of. It's a red car, yeah. isn't it? And it like jumps this bridge, yeah. and it's just like, boo! <laughs> you're like, what? <laughs> so stupid. <laughs> it feels like a very eighties, eighties potentially into nineties thing yeah. that they're putting those mm. like cartoon sound effects in. Like, I think sometimes it works, and sometimes it doesn't. I think for this scene, because it is meant to be so cartoony, and and you're right, Cam, it's not meant to be like this is what people in this country eat. (laughs) Uh, It's meant to be silly, I think. And Mm -hmm. again, another, even though it is kind of gross, like scene for the kids as well. Because you could imagine kids watching that and being like, ew, monkey brains. (laughs) Like it's that kind of over the top. In the the lunchroom was like, oh, what are we going to pretend our food is today? Yeah. (laughs) The other thing is we've all been in that situation, especially as kids. We're like, we've been at a dinner where just nothing looked appetizing, right? Maybe it's because you're in another country, but maybe it's because you're spending the night at your friend's house whose mom shops Mm. at the organic store. Like, it's a universal, (laughs) uh, awkward situation we've all been in being kind of embodied in this very over-the-top cartoony way, which is why I think, yeah, like, anyone who watched this movie as a kid, like, oh, yeah, the dinner scene. That's the first thing that comes to mind. Yeah, well, also, I know... There's also that scene where they try to feed them at the village, too. And Willie's, mm-hmm. like, trying to refuse the food. And Andy has to be like, fucking eat it. <laughs> like, you don't, like, yeah. don't, <laughs> you can't do this to these people. Like, you're you're disrespecting them very greatly by doing this. And, like, yeah, if you've known anyone who's gone to, like, who's done any, like, you know, Peace Corps or mission strips or whatever who have mm-hmm. gone to, like, very, like, to nations that have, like, small villages like this to do humanitarian work or whatever mm. mm-hmm. that's very much what they say like that's part of the training even yeah. is like if they offer you food you take it and you eat it whether or not you like whether you get sick be damned <laughs> even like um <laughs> you know and and they like these people are very appreciative and they want to share with you all they have like i remember talking to people who've done like peace corps stuff that you know they get to the village and that they're going to be working in and they hand them warm cokes and warm fantas and 
you just have to suck down this you know we drink everything cold here in america and so uh-huh. <laughs> with, with, with the salt in it because when i went to thailand they give you a bag of fanta filled with salt Whoa. And it was not refreshing yeah <laughs> quite the opposite <laughs> yes yeah and so they talk about like having to choke down this super sweet soda that's warm and like you know oh. even that like even the things that we're kind of familiar with here can be a lot different too but you have to like be appreciative mm-hmm. and like show it and like it's not that you're unappreciative but it is like it is quite literally foreign to you and so you're just mm-hmm. not used to it yeah no i mean make fun of white people food all the time too yeah. please we've got some weird bland ass <laughs> yeah. shit <laughs> uh, yeah. but yeah i think that scene uh, uh is one of the Almost things made a scenes. joke about british hope... food then i remembered who my co-host is um <laughs> hey go ahead uh you've already sent me the bake-off things so i'm, Dude. I'm fine with it <laughs> man even i was aggrieved by that man mexican week on <laughs> bake-off was a lot yeah it was a lot no it was just i i <laughs> go ahead <laughs> i I knew, I just some just something in me when I was watching that episode was like, I feel like MJ's going to send me some memes about this. I've just, I just felt it in my bones. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's because that lady peeled an avocado with a vegetable peeler and uh, <laughs> called it Glockimolo. <laughs> like Quasimodo. <laughs> <laughs> Did not think about that, but here we are. <laughs> yep. Yeah, yeah. I love the magic matches in this movie. <laughs> what? And he, like he'll just like light a match in a pitch black room, and all oh, of a sudden, all the lights come up. There's, <laughs> and uh, obviously, a shadow being produced by a light behind yeah. him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a trip. You gotta accept. I, that. I think uh, I just I enjoy the way that specifically the character of Indiana Jones is lit in the Indiana Jones films. Yes. He is lit like he is the hero mm-hmm. which he is yeah. so it makes sense but if we think about that iconic sort of first time we see him moment in raiders they recreate that moment so many times but i'm never annoyed <laughs> yeah. by it because he right i mean harrison ford very easy on the eyes mm-hmm. uh so no complaints at all there but it just it's that real like <laughs> just a great moment like mm-hmm. you're watching it and i you know, if you were watching it in in the the cinema and you'd already seen Raiders and just seeing him kind of that same shot or lit in that same way makes you want to applaud and be like, yeah, that's our that's our guy, like that's our hero. Mm-hmm. It's just such a great subtle thing. I mean, it's not super subtle, but within the the <laughs> filmmaking to just have th- that character be shot in that particular way and it be like his thing because yeah, none yeah. of the other characters really get that same get that same treatment but it just it just seems to work a slightly sort of gold light on his face like the like from the idol or from a match or it doesn't matter what the light source <laughs> what the light mm-hmm. source is they just make him look really good in in that light and it, it super works for that character well, even like when they make him drink the blood and he gets hypnotized there's this really great like underlighting on his face to make him look like hypnotized yes. and he, it's so good but all the lighting in the lair is really cool mm-hmm mm-hmm yeah, there's that shot, uh, you know, because he had just been possessed. He'd been evil Indy. Mm. And then it, it, that's what makes this next shot work so well when he's like, yeah, we're getting out of here, but not alone. And then you, there's the the scene where, like, they're pushing the mine cart and it lights up Indy and he's standing there and they're mm. about ready to all just kick ass and turn the tables. And it's such a good moment for Indy. And mm-hmm. it's just that, <laughs> that amazing, iconic shot. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
before we moved on from short round entirely, I forgot what I was. Oh, he is the source of one of my favorite shots in the movie. Maybe my favorite shot in the movie, which is when Indy is fighting the thuggy cult member on the like the crushing wheel thing. Mm. And he's got him. He's he's got him on the ground and like Indy straddling him and punching the guy in the face. The camera whips oh. over to short round doing that to the kid on the cliff and then whips back to Indy. Like, it's just it's so cool and confident. Like, it's just. There's so much in movie. There's so much in this movie that is just in there because it's cool, and I really appreciate yeah. that. I, I cheered at that that shot uh, last night. Yeah, watching this. I was like, oh yeah, this is such a great little moment. Also, uh, when Indy's possessed and he's trying to turn Indy, and he's like, "Wake up, Indy! I love you." Yeah. I'm like, that's what Elsie brings to the movie. Is he really brings the heart because Indy's not going to wear his heart on his sleeve, even though he goes through this arc. He kind of goes through it by talking to by being a mentor to to short round Mm -hmm. and that's Mm -hmm. how we know that indy's changed because because short round is able to embody the arc yeah um yeah because he says like you're my best friend and he says that multiple times Mm -hmm. uh also did i mean let's play the uh comparisons to jaws game now did you guys notice when he's imitating Indy in the village elder's hut? Yes. And he does oh. the exact mm-hmm. same hand motion that Brody and his son do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's such a nice little touch. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we get that in, they, they do a similar thing in E.T. as well. It's like, I wonder oh, how long, mm-hmm. yeah, it's, um, I can't remember at what point, but yeah, E.T. is sort of uh, mimicking Elliot or vice versa. Oh, but, yeah, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I wonder how many films that will continue for, because it's not a sort of <clears throat> Spielbergism I'd noticed before. It's three right here. Yeah, yeah. Be interesting to see if it if it crops up in any others. I mean, there is uh, a, a Jaws reference in 1941, but it's not <laughs> mm. it's not <laughs> nice and subtle like that one. Yep. It's uh, <laughs> right out the gate. And Ugh. then what colors the raft, guys? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The raft that brought them to danger. <laughs> yeah. They'll always you guys be. Have well, and what color? What color <laughs> do the stones turn when they're in the skull? <laughs> Yellow. Yeah. <laughs> sure. Uh, well, also kind of uh, ready orange. Not Jaws, but um, Bond. More Bond stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. Lol, the the guy who's like his liaison at the palace. Who's uh-huh. he's dressed like Doctor No during the dinner scene. Oh yeah. <laughs> like full-on dressed like dr no it's like it's such an obvious comparison now that i see it i don't know how i didn't notice it last night the, i think that's another go ahead yeah the the how much this this film really feels like a bond film just made me convinced of your argument mj that indiana jones should have been like the american bond <laughs> i was like absolutely it should it should have been and because this very much feels i mean spielberg wanted to make a bond film obviously never never did but kind of put these little bond things into into his film sometime but indiana jones is about the closest you're gonna get yep. to, to james mm-hmm. bond films mm-hmm. to the point of having connery in the in the next one so oh my god i feel like an idiot <laughs> i didn't put two and two together on that <laughs> <laughs> i'm so dumb oh, oh. bless your heart <laughs> i've been making that argument for years and never realized like oh it has a fucking james bond in it i felt like i was stating the obvious in in saying that point you were so (laughs) 
<laughs> Thank you for making me feel smart. <laughs> you were, I just have a small brain. <laughs> That's really funny. Oh. Freaking. But. Wow. <laughs> Speaking of chilled monkey brains. <laughs> hey. Ah. Well, MJ, we can't go anywhere from there. Uh, speaking of uh, act, well, I guess that wasn't the actor, but uh, I did notice that the the big guy who gets sucked under the the rock smasher that's General Kale from Willow, right? Is it? I'm pretty oh. sure in, in Indian face, but pretty sure I, I recognize that deep <laughs> voice and that that physique. I also, I like that little moment. It's interesting where uh, he, he starts getting sucked in. Like, that's another scene you just remember from yeah. childhood. As the guy goes mm. to the rock crusher, uh, his, his scarf or tunic or whatever is stuck. But Indy tries to help yeah, him. Yeah, I noticed like, that too. Like, that is a death not even a child slaver deserves, apparently, mm. in Indy's mind. Yeah, I noticed that as in, like a... Um, uh, 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 what's it? Uh, uh, like uh, part of his growth, right? That he doesn't, because he, he mm-hmm. has that line at the beginning where he's like, Oh, uh, I'm, uh, you know, I've killed before or whatever. Like he, he basically says that he, he basically says that he, he would kill in order to basically do what's right in his eyes. And so, yeah, he tries to help this guy. And I mm-hmm. saw that as the moment of like, Oh, this is where Indy becomes Indy as we know him in right, Raiders. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Also, you're a hundred percent correct that it's uh kale from, Willow, who is also the giant Nazi in Raiders that he fight, he kills with the okay, plane. That's that's what I thought. He looks very different without a beard, yeah. though. Very different they, facial structure. If they put him in brown face in this, though, that's un- that's unfortunate. Yeah, they definitely put him in brown face in this. Well, to be fair, to be fair, they are also all uh, well. We and we don't know who is being mind controlled and who's not. Like the whole mm-hmm. who are the bad guys is a whole issue in itself. Uh, but like maybe maybe he was a, a British general who who got mind controlled because his face is so dirty you can't really tell what hmm. race he's supposed to be. Yeah, that's. But true. yeah, it's probably brown face. It's probably yeah. Oh, he's in all three of these. Okay, who's he in? He's Crusade? a Gestapo in Crusade. Sure. So he went from a Nazi to <laughs> the Gestapo. <laughs> I love that he's different, like different characters in all yeah. three. But <laughs> it's pretty good. Oh. Does I I bet does he get in a fist fight with Indy and Crusade? Oh, he's got it, right? Stick? I'll be on the lookout yeah, for him. Yeah. Surely. For sure. And, yeah. And some <laughs> terrible death. Yep. He's also in the Conan movies too. That makes sense. Yep. Uh even he also passed before he could be in the fourth one, unfortunately, as a Russian. Oh. Yeah. Times. <laughs> even even aliens. I mean interdimensional beings. Yes. <laughs> even that bit like with the the crusher thing in the background feels so james bond mm-hmm. you know that when mm-hmm. he's on the table mm-hmm. and the laser is coming up yep. mm. <laughs> it's that sort of being close to close to death sort of thing unavoidable but you've got to fight the bad guy while you t- <laughs> while you're doing it there's so much mm-hmm. of this that that feels so like bond i not being super super familiar with the Indiana Jones films as I think we're we're establishing until now I've not 
really put those sort of two things together yeah. and realized how similar they are as well. Yeah, two more Bond moments. <laughs> Mola Ram's <laughs> little escape hatch that he goes down yeah. into uh, <laughs> makes me laugh every time, and I'm just now realizing it feels very Bond villainy. Mm -hmm. uh, and then, I mean, kind of going back to like the weird stakes and what's at stake with this movie, like, because I remember thinking, even this, just this most recent watch, to being like, I kind of like that it's small stakes. He's just trying to save this village. That's all. Until there's one random line halfway through where Mola Ram's like, oh, yeah, and then we're going to take over yeah. the world. <laughs> and you're like, where did that come from? <laughs> so much like Bond, it's like all of a sudden there's a world domination plot. Yep. Mm. Uh, <laughs> also, this guy from that we've just been discussing, the giant guy. Mm. In What's his name? Let's, his let's name is his Pat Roach, name. and he's in Never Say Never Again. That's right. Ah, the unofficial bond yeah. more connections <laughs> it all makes sense now uh, <laughs> do we should we get into i i feel like we've we've danced around some of the uh not so great stuff about yeah. this film so do we want to we want to get into get into that stuff i think it's it's hard to avoid <laughs> isn't it really yeah with this film with the mine cart. yeah i little uncomfortable with the sort of white savior narrative of of this film i'm i'm guessing that's the problem that most people have with it i mean i i'm not i know that this is a, a film that some people either like really really love and can and can look past those things or some people are just like absolutely not under no circumstances terrible hate it and i didn't really know what it was about this film that made people feel that way but i'm guessing that's it uh, based on the fact that that was what made me feel the the most uncomfortable <laughs> about the film but yeah i just i don't know i i certainly can uh acknowledge the white saviorness i mean the whole uh uh serialized adventure is just buried in those tropes mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. and certainly the 80s was not uh did not concern themselves about that too much. Uh, so I can, I can definitely uh, recognize it's there. I don't know if it's more egregious than like, say dances with wolves where it gets brought yeah. up, but I don't feel people mm. say they don't like it because of that. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know. Again, like the bad guys I feel are painted enough as like this very specific cult. Uh, mm -hmm. And then, mm -hmm. so yeah, but he's, you know, the village is waiting for their white savior to come to, to save the children. <laughs> Yeah, I think it's very throughout, though, too. I mean, I guess not really, because he, he goes and gets this for Lao Che and gives it back to him. I guess it would be different if he was taking it out of Lao Che's hands to put back in a museum or whatever. And like, because mm. it's, it's kind of wrapped up in that. I, I guess it's it's the big difference here is that he kind of doesn't start in America. He's like he's like in foreign to him. He's on foreign soil for the entirety of this movie. Whereas like we start mm -hmm. in South American Raiders, we go back, we see his life in America. We see that he gets hired out to go do this stuff at the request of people. Um, and also in that movie, it's a much different thing because it's like Germans. So it's all like it's it's right. it's 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 different because it's like Germans, but it's also in Egypt. And like we don't really get to see their perspective on it the way we do here. Um, and like, yes, he is charged by the village to go do this. Um, and it's like, he does have the, like, it does a little bit of groundwork as far as like, he's the one who has the skill set that can help them. And they mm -hmm. understand that. Mm -hmm. And no one else well, can, but also 
he's kind of just a guy as far as we know. I think that's the other thing is like we saw him not do anything in Raiders. And so it's like, well, (laughs) he doesn't really have much more of a skill set than anyone else to do this um, as far as we know right now, um, aside from like historical knowledge. But they also have this historical knowledge. It's their sacred item. And Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I don't know. That's one of the elements that like I keep going back and forth on with this movie i think it just plays differently because of how many native to where they were filming non-actors they used and they they talk about that in the Mm. special features as well and so it's like that always Mm. like Mm -hmm. can sit weird with me sometimes even in not stuff like this like i know they did a lot of that in nomadland um which Mm. man did not expect to be comparing Temple of Doom to Nomadland, but here we are. <laughs> but, you know, at a certain point, it's it does kind of start to ring hollow. And, like, Nomadland, obviously a much more realistic movie about people who live this life. Um, but that movie started to ring hollow to me when we started getting into, like, oh, we're, this is Francis McDormand's story. And it's like, well, just make a documentary about the real people then. Because it's based on a book about mm. these real people who were in the movie. So it's like, why do we need to invent a character to document, like, her journey through this, who's like as great as she is still a hollywood actress <laughs> like she's still <laughs> able to go home at night and sleep in her bed comfortably like why don't we just make a documentary about these people and their journey and their life doing like being nomads or whatever and so so you want a documentary of the temple of doom you want a yes. documentary <laughs> yes. about heart yeah. ripping okay okay yeah. just making yeah sure. i want them to show an actual yeah <laughs> yeah, uh, like dark, dark tourism type stuff. Um, but so that always rings like really weird with me, like outside of Italian neorealism, because they're the ones who pioneered using that mostly. Um, so I think that feels weird sometimes, too, where it's like you start thinking about like, well, did they help this village out after? Did the village want help after? Do they continue to support them? Like how exploitative does it get? Right. Like, did they just use this because it was an exotic location and these people look different or, or what? So it, yeah, it, Mm -hmm. it feels way different than him just fighting like Nazis and Italians. (laughs) I mean, the one thing, I guess my feelings on the white savior trope and this certainly coming from a white dude, so take it as you will. But one, I mean, it is a writing uh, technique, mm-hmm. right? Like we, we want to talk about Native Americans or Japanese samurai or something. How do we tell a Western audience how what, what's there in? Oh, well, we send a white guy over and so that someone can explain everything mm-hmm. to them. Like it's it's it starts off as a writing technique. Uh, and then the other thing is like this is an Indiana Jones movie. It's Indiana Jones story. It's about how he went from being selfish to caring more about others like naturally he's going to be the proactive protagonist the problem with so i i don't think white savior stories are inherently bad the problem is just representation when every story about another culture is that and we're not getting Mm -hmm. any stories from their Mm -hmm. point of view that's the problem in my eyes Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah i think i mean this what this film does have in its favor is that it's not indie coming in there like they ask mm-hmm. him to they ask him to do it 
right? He's not like, I'm going to go and do this, do this thing for you when there's someone perfectly, you know, capable and able who would be able to do it there. Like they ask him, like, w- you have been sent here for a reason. I mean, uh, they tell him. Gets, yeah, that gets, again, like, so slightly problematic. They laugh at him. But, yeah. I don't even the... know why you're here, but we do. <laughs> So that that is, I I guess, how the film tries to explain itself with that. I mean, he's a little reluctant as well. Like he's keen to get to the next destination. He doesn't necessarily want to be waylaid with this with this thing. I mean, the whole we sort of joked about it earlier, but the whole the all the kids in the village have been uh, have been taken. That feels like the more. Uh, uh, pertinent issue to me than mm-hmm. the missing stone. I mean, obviously mm-hmm. this stone means a great deal to that village. Uh, people shouldn't have taken it. The people who took it are bad. Like that's all very much established. But which is why I felt like this the the plot was giving me a bit of whiplash in the beginning because I was just kind of like, whoa, wait, wait, go back to what you just said about all the kids going missing. Well, that seems <clears throat> I will say kind of important. <laughs> to be fair, if they know that one of these stones is one of five stones that can let someone take over the world. That's a little... <laughs> the the stakes of the children going missing are a little less. <laughs> yeah, I guess... <laughs> but we don't find that out until halfway through yeah. the movie. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Uh... <laughs> I mean, it is funny but... that, that Indy isn't interested in going after him. It's not the kids. Uh, it's not finding out the kids are missing. It's not finding the escapee kid. It's what the kid brings him, which is what tells him that the stone is one mm-hmm. of the five sacred stones. That's why he wants to go in the beginning. Yeah. Mm. Fortune and glory. Fortune and glory, kid. <laughs> huh. But yeah, I also think like the scene with Willie where he is being respectful of their culture and stuff it helps kind of blunt some of that uh, that ugly Americanism too. Like Indy is respectful of cultures. He may grave rob, but uh, like <laughs> he treats the people with respect. He learns their language. He learns their cultures. Mm. It would certainly... It would certainly be worse if, like, at the end of this, he was, you know, fame and glory, seer, yeah. stones in my satchel, and off I go kind of thing. Like, that obviously would have been a lot worse, and I don't think this character hey, would man, be Hey, man, it belongs likeable. in the museum. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, it, yeah. It makes... When you consider this film being sort of establishing... Indy and who he is as a character and how he goes on that journey from originally wanting that thing and perhaps acting selfishly in the beginning and wanting the fame and glory that comes with it and not wanting to help help the people but his sort of change of heart I think makes it makes it sit a little easier with me I I fully understand why people have the problems that they have with this film because I I did have problems in that in that area as well and like you MJ you do sort of worry like about you know the actual making of the film as well like I I hope that the people in it were well paid and well looked after and all the rest of it and I would like to think that that they were but yeah it's I don't know how the film could have been been better if that makes if that makes sense like it's right that's the story that's the story that they're that's the story that they're going with it's kind of like well i don't know how you can make that not white savory and still have the the film be 
an Indiana Jones film and be the film that it is at the end of it. Like you said, too, it's also there's a problem inherent to this type of storytelling. Like, have you guys seen the film that this highly takes inspiration from Gunga Din? Nope. I haven't yet. I want to. It's very good. It's very fun. But it's I mean, it's a 1930s version of this. So, (laughs) I mean, sure. (laughs) It's how you would make the story worse. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> it's a very fun <laughs> That's movie. That's my answer, yeah. I, uh, to the point where I think Gunga Din and this have the exact same opening shot from the Paramount logo. I think mm. it fades into a gong. From, Does it have a musical number? Uh, I don't believe so, not from what I remember. Um, <laughs> Shame. <laughs> but the, that one's even worse because it's about the military finding stuff. Like, it's not even about an archaeologist. Like, it's like... Full on colonial oh stuff. I think it's the British <laughs> military too, like in India. Ah, it's always us, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it is to be fair. Yeah, so well, when, when, yeah. When it comes to India, yes. Um, yeah. I guess when it comes to America, also yes. Now that I think about it, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So yes, oh yeah, sure is. is. Gonna... <laughs> Always the That's fine. Guys. Just balance it out by watching RRR and watching a bunch of British people get murdered. <laughs> <laughs> I still gotta watch that film. Actually. It's real good, <laughs> but man, so many British people die at the end. <laughs> Same with Star Wars. So many British people die at the end. <laughs> yeah, everyone working on the Death yeah, Star was true. British. <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> but yeah so if anything like it's an improvement on the on the gunga din formula and that movie still works i think i think it's not as bad as you might expect it to be going into it being like okay well this is the 1930s <laughs> version but it's still not great mm-hmm. um and this i think yeah is, when you're watching older movies uh, you kind of have to compartmentalize certain things like i love yeah. film noir mm-hmm. films from the 30s and 40s uh if you're going to watch those you definitely need to watch them through the lens of when yeah. they were made and understand Absolutely. that it's not indicative <laughs> of use now yeah mm-hmm. yeah and i think that like i think you can still enjoy this movie and not like quote feel bad about it i guess like it's not as egregious as some other other things last samurai mm-hmm. um but it just <laughs> It just feels because the first one is so fun. This one feels like it has like a little bit more grime on it, and then it gets back into that again with back to the back to its roots uh, mm-hmm. in the third one. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. yeah, for me, I guess my my biggest hangups with this movie is going back to the tone, just like how it swings wildly from cartoon to heart ripping and child whipping yeah uh yeah um but so like yeah certain things actually the i mean i i respect the minecart chase for being um technically wonderful i always get bored during it i don't like the (laughs) minecart chase it's It's too over the top it's long (laughs) the like all the other action set pieces like are very I think what makes indie work is all the action pieces typically are very character centric. Like the characters are doing very specific to their personality things throughout. And the car chase, the cart mine cart chase is kind of the exception where it's just like, Nope, it's just stuff going fast (laughs) until the end. And then, then you get some fun indie stuff. But anyway, like yeah, that and the raft, very cartoony and then the dark stuff. But what I will say it does well. And just going back to Spielberg's skill is like, 
the dark stuff always feels dark and the funny stuff always feels funny and you mm -hmm. never get confused about which is which so like i mean there is a master at the helm like guiding you through it um and and the the there may be whiplash the extremes may be too far for you but like you know where you're at at all yeah. times so never i mean that's why i did say the comparison to 1941 at the beginning because it feels like a lot of these set pieces feel like they could have been in that movie um but yeah sure they also feel like he's trying to learn like he's like okay what didn't work about that let's try that again and see how we make it work this time like what are the elements that we need in order to make it work and so the opening at Club Obi-Wan, like, with all the, the sort of ridiculous, like, ninja machine gun type thing. <laughs> um, and then all the balloons. Like like I said, it feels exactly like the club fight brawl in 1941. And feels, honestly, feels like it goes on not too much shorter. That, like, because it's long yeah. in 1941. And it's long mm -hmm. in this. But uh, <laughs> it, it just works better. There's, like, more... There's a better sense of the geography of the room. There's a better sense of the stakes. There's a better sense mm -hmm. of the place and like the the goals that the characters are trying to accomplish. Like we learn a lot about um, Willie in this scene and like what her main concern is. We learn a lot about Indy and how he deals with his like how he deals with having his back very much against the ropes as far as like he's going to die here like he's 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 dying he's going into cardiac arrest and he does not have the uh casino royale aston martin with the heart defibrillator in it um <laughs> and uh, uh there's just the minecart feels like it's the plane chase from the end of 1941 like but tightened up and done better and looks better and i i really like the minecart chase actually i think it's very very impressive um, just like I, I, yeah. the sets are really incredible, like throughout. Um, mm -hmm. and so just like thinking mm -hmm. about like them filming this on the set and all the moving pieces that needed to come together, it's really, really great. And then you, there's even the jokes work better in this. Like I said, the part with Willie going through all the wildlife, like it goes on way too long. It goes on as long as like a family guy bit, but it also is pretty <laughs> funny. Um, mm. and so he's just. You can see him learning and evolving as a filmmaker, particularly because we've been watching the films in order, right? Largely. Um, you can yeah, kind of see yeah. the lessons he's learning and how he can, like, he can take it, learn a lesson, and then be like, but I kind of want to do it again to see, like, how I could do it good. Um, mm, and mm -hmm, I think that's mm -hmm. always, like, really interesting when you're going through, like, a filmmaker's uh, filmography. Particularly, I guess we can, we wouldn't call these early films of his anymore, but... If you go back and watch, I, I really like watching first movies of directors. Like, have you guys ever seen Who's That yeah. Knocking at My Door, the Scorsese movie? Nope. It's Sorry. his first movie and like <laughs> feels like a Scorsese movie, even though it's like about, mm. it's just, it's Harvey Keitel dealing with Catholic guilt is the movie like that that's <laughs> pick a scorsese movie and the replace the italian guy <laughs> yeah i i we brought up 1941 a lot more than i anticipated we would, <laughs> we would bring it up on this episode uh, and considering how much we both absolutely hated that film i i think i said on that episode as well there's a a point to it existing and i'm glad it does exist because i think that it taught spielberg some lessons it taught him that he 
needs to rein it in where possible. I mean, it was the hubris of a young director who was just like, look at these monster successful films I've just had in in Jaws and Close Encounters. I can do whatever the hell I want. And then it backfired on him because it was not a success. So it needed to happen to make Spielberg then go on to be the director that could do Raiders, that could do E.T., that could do this and everything else that that came after it. Like, 1941 needed to happen to sort of teach him that lesson the, the hard way, but it taught him some good lessons as well because a lot of 1941 is big, over-the-top, comedic, uh, in air quotes, I don't know if you find them funny or not, but uh, set pieces. And... A lot of the set pieces, particularly in the Indiana Jones films, have comedy in them as well as peril and tension. And what we sort of see in, you know, particularly in in Jaws and and Duel was how well Spielberg could create tension. And it's bringing those two things together, being able to create what is a, a fun and exciting and funny set piece, but also having this tension in there as well. It's taking two things that Spielberg knows how to do very, very well and putting them together in a in a way that works. So it's learning the lessons, both good and bad, from his previous films that I think you really, really see, particularly in the Indiana Jones films. Obviously, we've, we've had E.T. in the middle of them as well, but we we spoke about this a lot on, on Raiders, how you can sort of chart that journey particularly in Spielberg's blockbusters of what he what he knows works really well and building upon it each time and just making it better all the time <laughs> it takes a lot of skill i think to be able to 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 learn to learn those lessons and 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 take the good and bad from things that have and haven't worked and use those in 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 such a way as what we see in this film well <clears throat> also I think it's interesting because the next two films we're talking about are his first forays into like the historical drama, right? Is Color yeah. Purple and Empire yeah. of the Sun next? Or is it Color Purple I... Crusade? Uh, let me I just... I want to say Empire came out before Crusade. Yeah, I also want to say that. Yeah, we've got uh, Color Purple is next, then Empire of the Sun, then Last Crusade. So we've got yeah so, two more before we get back yeah, to Indy. So, um... <clears throat> The thing is, and I'm interested to see how this works because he's clearly got the technical filmmaking under his belt at this point. Mm-hmm. The film that wins him the most Oscars is Schindler's List, right? Which is a historical drama. Um, another one of his most well-regarded films is Saving Private Ryan, a historical drama. Mm-hmm. So at some point he kind of became the historical drama guy. Um, and he vacillates back and forth between the blockbuster guy and the historical drama guy, sometimes in the same year, Schindler's List in Jurassic Park. Um, <laughs> and uh, the thing you don't hear about much is this movie, The Color Purple. So I'm interested to see him kind of restart that process of like, okay, he's got the technical aspect under control, but like, how do you become the historical fiction guy now, right? Like this mm-hmm. is... I guess always, we're skipping always right now, which isn't historical fiction, but it's his most, quote, dramatic film up to this point, I guess. Um, well, I guess, oh, no, that comes out after Empire of the Sun. So he doesn't even do always until 1989. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So yeah, so his next one is his most, like, it's his first pure drama that we've seen, right? Everything else has Mm -hmm. sort of, like, Mm -hmm. there's even a slow car chase in Sugarland Express. Um, So there's some spectacle there. So I'm interested to kind of see that arc of, like, okay, he's got the blockbuster thing. Now he's going to switch it up a year later after, like, these, like, three absolute monster successes. Um, He (laughs) completely 180s. Like, this is the color purple is a completely different style of movie than what he's he's made up until this point. And just, re- I haven't seen... Was he like, well, I, I handled another culture so well in <laughs> yeah. Temple of Doom, I better dive into slavery. Yeah, like it's, and that's the thing, is it's such a wildly, <laughs> like, obviously, like, sensitive issue, but, like, big issue to take care of. And I was just, I was checking something else about this movie on the IMDb, and the, the plot description on IMDb is a black Southern woman dis- struggles to find her identity after suffering abuse from her father and others over four decades. Also, this movie is two hours and 34 minutes. Um, oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> um, and so I just got, like, way nervous about doing that <laughs> episode. Um and so, like, I just don't understand how he, he how he goes to, like, like you said, like, oh, yeah, I'm going to cover American slavery um, and also, like, familiar abuse, familial abuse. Um, female protagonist is first. Yeah. Uh, no, right? Sugarland Express. Mm. Sure. Um, okay. But. Yeah, I just don't I just don't understand how you go from this movie into that, like back to back. That's so wild to me. Mm-hmm. And like how yeah. he how he approaches we- it as a learning experience, I think, is like, I don't think this movie is gonna be as bad as 1941. I think few movies Oh, it's supposed to be pretty good, right? Color purple? It's got a 7.7 7 yeah. on IMDb. My wife loves it. I I don't think I've seen it all the way through since high school. I don't, I don't remember. I've seen it, the back half of it on well, TV when I was a kid. Well regarded, I'm yeah. pretty sure, yeah. So, like, it's got to be somewhat decent. Did it win a bunch of Oscars? Or does it just look like a movie that would win a bunch of Oscars? Did yeah, Oprah Whoop- win an Oscar for it? Or at least get nominated, I think? I think Whoopi either won or was nominated. Um, let me double check that. Maybe, I thought Oprah I think Oprah nominated. was nominated, I thought. It was nominated for 11. Jeez, it did not win Dang. a single Yeah, because I was going to yeah, say, was, Whoopi, uh, Whoopi won no. for Ghost. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Two Best Supporting wow, Actress 11. Uh, nominations for this movie. Yeah, yeah. Margaret Avery and Oprah Winfrey. Wow. Huh. I mean, I'm not saying it's... Yeah, it's well, good a... luck with that What's one, that? guys. <laughs> good luck with yeah, that one. I'm not saying it's probably going to be bad, but it just feels like... I don't want to watch that shit. (laughs) (laughs) There's no, there's no. Yeah. It just sounds sad. (laughs) Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Well, I've read the book. So. Oh, interesting. Uh, uh, it's pretty harrowing. Yeah. Uh, That makes sense. Uh, I didn't know. I didn't know it was two and a half hours long. Uh, and me and MJ famously hate anything that is, (laughs) <laughs> two hours is often my it's quite often yeah. my limit i mean we both love scorsese films and the lord of the rings films as well so this you know argument kind of undoes itself very quickly but when i see <laughs> a number after two hours and it's a, a quite a big number then i'm like oh yep. no <laughs> or if it gets to a three yeah 
Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I was wondering, guys, and if you've answered this already in some one of the earlier episodes, uh, you can cut this. But like, what's what's the shift been like from covering a minute at a time to an entire movie? It's been kind of weird for me. I don't know like, about you. What, was there an adjustment period? Because mm. even with me taking my notes, I'm like, oh yeah, don't don't get lost in the details, Cam. That's not what this <laughs> is about. It's it's may I mean it's generally watching Jaws in the way that we did has made going into a a film's themes and the things that aren't necessarily obvious. It's made that process a lot easier. Uh, I find that I certainly when I'm able to watch a film more than once, anyway, I'm able to pick up more things than perhaps I would have done before doing the the minute by minute but talking about them is different because I'm like I you have to cover so much (laughs) in like a relatively short space of time I mean we try and keep the episodes around two hours like I Mm -hmm. guess or or under but it's it's different uh yeah I don't know if I cop out well, answer. Like, like, it's different. Of course it is, because it's, you know, my notes completely, yeah. super detailed for that opening scene. And then I was like, oh, wait, yeah, we're, we, we've actually yeah. got a lot more to cover. I better start. Uh... Yeah. Because even on my yeah. show where we're doing like a 45 minute TV episode at a time, like I still get pretty like I still feel like, yeah, let's freeze frame on the screen and see what's going on and like mm. find these details and extrapolate them into something bigger. But like a two hour movie, that's an entirely different discussion. Yeah, we still do that a little, I think, like, there's there's been points where we've sort of mentioned, it were pulled out, like, specific timestamps of, of particular shots that we've liked, or things that mm-hmm. we've uh, been able to, to find in, in the background, whether they're particularly deep or just funny. I mean, uh, help me notice Dan Aykroyd like... in this movie for the first time. <laughs> yeah, and the Spielberg kid in E.T. Yeah, oh man. <laughs> and Coppola. <laughs> And Coppola, that's yeah. not Coppola, yeah. Is he any? Oh, no, okay. fake Coppola. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We were convinced. Yeah, <laughs> I had to ask uh, Caged In Coppola Connections on Twitter, and he confirmed that it was not, in fact, a... Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, wait, I have a Coppola expert, like, at my fingertips. Let me ask him. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, I think, for me, it's been... It's weird because my other show, we do this, right? This is the format of my other show, mm. but I've never done it with Sarah. Mm-hmm. So there's, it's mm-hmm. like, not that it's bad by any stretch of the imagination, but with like, there's a different dynamic between me. Like I have three other co-hosts on that podcast now. And so it just, there's a different dynamic. Also like Sarah and I are friends, but I've known these other three people for like 20 years. <laughs> so um, <laughs> there's just like, not that there was like a learning curve to it, but it was just like, oh, how do I figure out this vibe with between Sarah and I going from this into this and like what we learned from that and how is that dynamic different than what happens on my other podcast? Cause I don't, I personally, I don't want it to be the same because I would get bored. Mm-hmm. Um, and also like <laughs> it's, it is a different di- dynamic with like two co-hosts and a guest every once in a while or on basically every episode. Um, we don't really do guests mm-hmm. anymore on that show. So the formats are way different. But the style is the same now, where it's like you're covering a whole thing. However, we're covering the entire filmography of one specific director. So it's mm-hmm. it's like, okay, I can do my deep dive into kind of the arc I'm noticing of his career rather than on the other show. It's just about like the current state of ultimately the entertainment industry, right? So like this year in particular, we've talked a lot about how most of the films we're talking about 
is not the superhero shit anymore. Like it feels like the the magic on that is kind of breaking a little bit. And so this year our episodes have been like Top Gun, everything everywhere all at once. I think we're gonna do an RRR episode, Cobra Kai, like and then a little bit like we did a Doctor Strange episode because I wanted to talk about a Sam Raimi movie mainly is the reason we did that. <laughs> and so that has more to do with like current stuff. This is like almost a film history podcast still. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think even when yeah. we like go into because, uh, you know, we've, we've got all these other other seasons planned and they've all got different themes. So I think I mean, we're, we'll we'll dive back into Spielberg because obviously we are we're going to cover his whole filmography but we're sort of doing it we've broken it down into chunks so uh, we finish Spielberg season one on on Hook and then we'll we'll do something else but whether it'll be uh, an actor or films that inspired Spielberg or films that Jaws inspired or something like that there'll be like a theme to all of them so I think each series will have something that's a little bit different which I think is why we're quite excited by by doing it in this way and breaking it down into seasons because we're sort of bringing that the LJ fam hat that we like to put on, which sort of affects how we watch films now and how we mm-hmm. analyze them. But then each series having something a little bit different about it. And I I love doing a chronological thing. So, I mean, I went through all the Disney films chronologically and had a whole ass <laughs> podcast about it. So being able to do something like that and track the journey, I think even when we take a pause in Spielberg and come back to him like for a later season, being able to track that, that journey of a director and particularly in this early phase is is super super interesting because everything we're looking at is well majority of it is is post jaws and bring in our knowledge and experience of uh dissecting jaws into into talking about these films and yeah picking up on the small references the big outlandish references in 1941 and everything else i think is yeah different but different but great i'm really enjoying it anyway <laughs> it's, it's like learning more about spielberg i think and his even just watching watching how his films change and how he figures out like i said earlier what does and doesn't work in each of his films and then doing it slightly differently in the next one is has been super interesting for me so far yeah <clears throat> Very great. good answers <laughs> I thank you. Uh, do we have uh, <laughs> we've deviated a little bit here, but it's what is to be expected of uh, LJ Fam. Um, if anything else on on Temple of Doom, I'm sure you had lots of notes, Cam. So I don't know if there's anything that we <laughs> uh, haven't brought up yeah, that you were dying to. Or <laughs> no, we hit most of them. I, mean, I, I feel like the bridge sequence hasn't gotten enough mm. love, so I just want to say like oh, how so much good. I do love that mm-hmm. finale. <laughs> I I don't know how they shot that. I mean, that must have been a technical nightmare to cut together the. The physical effects with like mm. stuff in a studio and i don't know it's 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 really good mm-hmm. uh and then jumping from the end back to the beginning i do just love uh they do so, there is some nice writing with backstory in that first scene where like you don't really know what's going on between him and the gangster but you get all these like salacious little details about like the gangster's son trying to steal something from indy and indy <laughs> hurting him and and then even like indy's other buddy who gets shot like i feel bad for that guy every time i'm like there's a whole like world of stories between these two that we're not going to be able to get to see because he got shot here uh, i think there's some really nice kind of just like backstory building there that then kind of gets lost uh, later on in the film mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I forgot what I was going to say. 
uh, <laughs> I do like that it just ends. Bridge. Like I, I like that we don't have to watch him go all the way to Delhi and wrap up stuff there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, it's a long way to yeah, Delhi, MJ. That's true. A lot can happen. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I mean both Raiders. We we talked about the the ending there as well, sort of like leaving it with a little bit of a. A slight cliffhanger, not sort of like, oh, we have to have the you know next installment now to find out what happens, but a sort of just a little, just a little thing that it sort of leaves you with that it doesn't necessarily wrap everything up completely. I think perfectly works for these films mm-hmm. and the fact that we, yeah, we don't see them get to a destination. I mean, who knows what kind of scrapes they could have got into along <laughs> along the way? <laughs> it's like a whole other film that 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 we don't see another village that needs saving or something. I don't know. Do a whole like. <laughs> prequel series of like indiana jones the willy year yeah just one year (laughs) that's when he was with her yeah (laughs) and he's like she's annoying i'll just uh i'll I'll leave her in this place now (laughs) (laughs) what happens to short round that's what i don't know because obviously he's not in last crusade um i don't do we know it has not been confirmed i have my suspicions uh based on I just vibes, I guess. I have no real proof. Um, <laughs> I didn't know if that's what the photo was. Yeah, from I don't. Or, yeah. Th- I don't think it was, but I don't know. In um, my whole thing is this. So Kehi Kwan went on Kimmel to talk about everything everywhere because he's in that. And they obviously brought mm-hmm. up Indiana Jones because he has a limited filmography, but he asked him, would you ever do that again? And he said, yes, in a heartbeat. I would love to revisit that character. If they ever need, you know, if they ever do another one, I would love to to be a part of it. My only real, like, shred of evidence there is, one, Kimmel's on ABC. ABC's owned by Disney. Disney's doing the new one. So I kind of feel like they (laughs) might give him a cameo. Especially because... Mm -hmm uh harrison ford got hurt again um and classic uh, like yeah yeah so this movie kicks off a long line of harrison ford getting super injured during during movies um because he he like really messed up his back and had like this super controversial surgery done for some reason like it's controversial Mm -hmm. for some reason surgery done involving Mm -hmm. like stem cells and stuff like that and yeah mm-hmm. yeah yeah mm-hmm. they went and found the five shankara stones and uh <laughs> the spine is now just straight <laughs> it belongs in my back um and, <laughs> uh so yeah and but then he like broke his leg on force awakens and then i think he got hurt during call mm. of the wild and then he got mm-hmm. hurt again on indiana jones 5 they had to shut down filming for a few months so i almost wonder if they were able to write short round in during that time when they were shut down Hmm. i mean i just Mm. with with the way films and franchises are and cameos and nostalgia like i i just don't see someone being like you know what let's not have them yeah Yeah, I I just want to know that the character was okay after this because obviously like we haven't seen him reappear right. yet, and it's like just he just, just, just leaves him somewhere. He, like, yeah, he <laughs> is just he got okay? dysentery <laughs> on the way to Delhi and he's in an yeah. unmarked grave somewhere in the jungles of India. 
Oh no. Marked no. marked only by his New York Yankees hat. No. <laughs> He's no. alive and well. Stop yes, it. Yes. This is like Pippet. <laughs> he was just like, I am done heart ripping, brain eating, no sir, voodoo dolls. I'm just gonna stay in America and learn to drive a cab. <laughs> well, I hope that we find out that he is doing okay after all these years. Um yes. yeah. Be interesting. Maybe Goonies is a sequel. Maybe he changed his name yeah. and adopted to Astoria, uh, Oregon. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense. Shame yeah. the Goonies sucks, but you know that's. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, it was been a good time, guys. <laughs> I look forward to never speaking to you again. MJ and, agrees. Uh, MJ so super agrees. I do not like that movie. <laughs> Another time. What a. <laughs> what are your thoughts on uh, Hook? Cam, any uh, strong uh, feelings like either Hook. way? I, I think I think Hook's really good. Oh, yep. no. All right. Uh, well, <laughs> okay, Just that's, somewhere, it. <laughs> that's where we'll leave things. Uh, <laughs> stay tuned for our thoughts on Hook when we get there eventually. Uh, a little tease for everyone. <laughs> I think uh, I think we've just about covered everything. Temple of Doom. We might have some some mm. thoughts on the the thoughts that we've been sent from from some of our listeners. So thanks everyone who sent their their tweets over. Um, I've included this one just because it made me laugh quite a bit. Uh, at Peg Public said, all I'm going to say is if you watch it backwards, it's about a guy who steals rocks and a village full of kids, sells them into slavery and buys a really nice white tuxedo with the profits. Um, <laughs> that made me laugh more than it should have done. Um, at Brody's Yard, or Yad, I yeah, should I say, that's how, it's, uh, that's how it's written. Uh, contra- I mean, after, after the Dan Aykroyd accent, say it however you want. <laughs> yeah. Uh, controversial. Crystal Skull is better than Temple of Doom. Interesting. Suffers from lack of location variety, weak antagonists in terms of acting ability, and a poor MacGuffin. Agree? Nope. I think we kind of, I think we I think we kind of covered that. I looked, you had a similar response uh, to your tweet you put out cam right someone was in your mention saying a a similar a similar thing worse than crystal skull yeah i don't i don't know i don't well i don't get that at all we watched crystal skull during lockdown and it was one of the lowlights of lockdown for me (laughs) (laughs) and that says a lot Uh, (laughs) crystal skull made the pandemic worse yeah (laughs) put that on the poster it'll be interesting once we've done once we've covered all the, the the indie films i i I don't think anything's worse than Crystal Skull, and that's with how barely anything that I remember from that film, apart from the <laughs> the things mentioned earlier. Uh, yeah, uh, we'll we'll see. We'll we'll maybe we'll rank them all when we're done. I don't think there'll be any surprises <laughs> in our ranking at all. Um, final tweet at uh, Foxy Snob said it's my favourite of the trilogy. There we go. It's a bit of balance. Uh, and my most watched. I adore it. I love the humour, the drama, genuinely scary baddie, and Willie Scott is, is such a diva, and I love her. Short round two. Well, there we go. If you can see there, Willie, Willie is a bit of a diva. Then uh, that's the tweet for me. Yeah, <laughs> you can enjoy her more. Uh, so thank you everyone who sent those in, and a huge thank you as well to our patrons. Uh, remember to say that right. Uh, and they are Griff, Andrew, Jack, Cameron. Way he's here. Hey. Uh, Callum, Mike, Katie, Rachel, Blake, Chris, and Kerry. Thank you so much uh, to all of them for their support. Wow, you guys got a lot of patrons. I know, doing all right, aren't we? People love you. Not too bad. Not too shabby. Uh, you put out a good podcast. 
<laughs> stop, stop. He can come back again. <laughs> Despite your opinions on Goonies. Hey, look. <laughs> Let's not bring it down again. <laughs> I'm just saying, if, if all the patrons leave after this episode drops, you're going to know I why. I think we've been pretty vocal in our Goonies thing. I'm not shy about it. Yeah. I think, I think you have. I it's not the, the first time. <laughs> all right. Um, oh, uh, we didn't talk about the score, right? Oh, Jesus. Guys, I, this is my favorite Indiana Jones really? score. It's great. Oh, man. Yeah, that the Temple of Doom theme is like my yeah. second favorite indiana jones music yeah it's so good yeah it's really everything about it i it's a great sequel as far as like everything about it just feels bigger like it just Mm -hmm. looks like the first one looks incredible don't get me wrong but like the 4k on this one looked outstanding um aside from the parts where the 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 effects are a little dodgy uh to begin with but hey what are you gonna do um yeah yeah Yeah. exactly and like it just looked incredible that opening sequence for as goofy as it is with the musical number looks amazing and just Mm -hmm. like the sound design coming through my sound system was really really great there's some great like stuff that happens in the minecart chase where they're shooting at it and the sounds coming from behind you like it's it's really well mixed and the score is like it's really (laughs) dialed in for this character Mm -hmm. Mm mm-hmm it's amazing. I feel like it's a given that the score, <laughs> the score is great yeah, in an yeah. indie film. Yep. So we mentioned it, I think, in, in Raiders. We'll probably continue to talk about it. But Yeah, I played the incredible. shit out of the NES mm. Temple of Doom game, which uh, everyone, it's not a good game. Do not rush out and find uh, an emulator <laughs> of it. But I played the shit out of it because of the song, because it just played that Temple of Doom theme <laughs> on a loop <laughs> in all the levels. And I was like, well, I might as well jump and die while listening to this awesome music. <laughs> Um, yeah, <laughs> and next next week, our first non John Williams scored uh, Spielberg film. Ah. Yep. Yeah, although he didn't do he didn't do Duel, right? Well, yeah, yeah. Sorry, but, of yeah. his like studio. Work. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, Cam, thanks for coming on, even if we trashed yep. uh, Goonies. <laughs> <laughs> Offhandedly mentioning you don't like it. Yes, it's trashing yeah. it. No, no, it's all right. <laughs> uh, I'm trying to think of some way to connect that to Temple of Doom. But, I mean, uh... short round. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, no, I know, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Same good, isn't it? But... Yeah. Uh, absolutely. No, it was a pleasure coming on, talking about Temple of Doom, and talking to you guys again. Um, thank you so much for having yeah. me on. Yeah, uh, you have anything? I'll have to wiggle my way onto a, onto a, uh, uh, who was in Jaws? Brody's, Brody, Brody. <laughs> oh, yeah. Season. Uh, Roy Scheider. Yep. Oh, mm-hmm. Jesus, thank you. Roy Scheider, yeah. yeah. Uh, oh. Chilled monkey yeah. brains all around <laughs> here. <laughs> uh, you have anything to plug? I sure do. Like I mentioned uh, at one point, I think I, I do have two other podcasts. They're both Star Trek themed. So if that's your thing, come check out uh, Green Shirt, A Newbie's Trek to the Next Generation is uh, where I'm watching Star Trek the Next Generation for the first time. We're about to start season six, so we're getting near the end and lots of good episodes uh, of both the pod and the show. Uh, at Green Shirt 87 is my typical Twitter user 
Uh, you'll find me tweeting from that. There's also Open Pike Night, which is our Strange New Worlds podcast, where now that we're in between seasons, we are interviewing the cast and crew of Strange New Worlds. So we've had Melissa Navia on. We've had Kayla Cooper and Bill Wolkoff. We're about to interview the uh, one of the showrunners, Henry Alonzo Myers. So lots of great content there as well. At Open Pike, you can That's find us so on Twitter. That's so dumb. Not that you did that, but it's just dumb because I've been on that <laughs> podcast and I don't know shit about Star Trek. <laughs> <laughs> you were. You were on. Talked yep. about an episode. Yep. Also, if you would like a t-shirt with my name on it, you guys sell a t-shirt that has my name on the back. We sure do. We've got some good merch for uh, for both podcaster names and uh, just other Star Trek shirts. Yep. Um, (laughs) If you would like to get in touch with us, uh, you can find the show on Twitter and Instagram at at Jaws for a minute. Um, If you don't have social media and would like to get in touch, you can email us at Jaws for a minute at gmail.com. Uh, individually, we are on Twitter at Sarah Buttery, S-A-R-A-H-B-U-D-D-E-R-Y, and at MJ Smith 891 um, On the socials, you'll find our link tree. It has links to buy merchandise through TeePublic and Redbubble. You can also purchase our theme song through Bandcamp um, and a link to make a one-time donation through our coffee page. Uh, and... You can also subscribe to our aforementioned Patreon um, at uh, patreon.com slash jaws for a minute, which is $3 a month. And uh, by the time you're hearing this, you'll hear a full-length commentary on Jaws from us on that on that page. So, mm-hmm. yep. Um, mm-hmm. If you still want to support the show, you can do it at no cost by rating, reviewing, subscribing, and sharing the show that's what gets our name out we're it's just us doing all the marketing so the more you guys can help us by getting the word out the more we appreciate it uh thank you guys so much for listening until next time it's jaws o'clock somewhere